Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Wild listeners, we would love to see you live and in person at one of our upcoming events. Friday, May 6th, join us for a live taping of Tenter Wild at the James Theater in Iowa City with thought leader, activist, and author Marianne Williamson via live stream. Lissy, songwriter of the amazing music you hear every week, will also be joining us on the big screen. And our most recent guest, Celicia Aya, will be with us in person. All the way from St. Kitts. Leading us through a ritual. Find tickets at www.dryogamama.com. And that's M-O-M-M-A.com. Then, since Celicia is coming all the way from St. Kitts, she will be teaching several workshops with me Saturday, May 7, from 12 to 5 p.m., Activate Your Goddess. Sunday, May 8, which also happens to be Mother's Day, we're doing a practice that will be online. The other one is in person. Uh, Sunday, May 8, 9.30 to 11, celebrating the feminine yoga practice. That same day, Sunday, May 8, from 2 to 5, honoring the womb space, the lower seat of the soul. And last but not least, on Sunday, May 8, in the evening from 8 to 9.30, we will be doing an evening moonwalk at Harvest Preserve among the stones, the what I call the Stonehenge of Iowa. We'll be engaging in some rituals, some meditation, honoring Sacred Mother Earth and Sacred Mother Moon. So come on out and join us again. All of these tickets can be found at www.dryogamama.com. Hi, this is Betsy, and in today's Tend Her Wild podcast, I am so excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Andrea Wieland. Andrea is a psychologist. She's a performance coach. She was recently the associate athletic director and director of sports performance for Penn Athletics, where she oversaw athletic medicine, strength and conditioning, nutrition, mental health and performance for over a thousand athletes and 33 sports teams. Andrea has three decades of experience consulting, coaching in the high performance space. In fact, we were just talking before we started this podcast about when she started her first business, which we'll talk about here in a moment. She is also an Olympian, a 1996 Olympian and a former Division I assistant coach to many national and league champions. She has a background in developing leaders, teams, and performers through an integrated 360-degree approach to assessment, education, intervention, and evaluation. She is a phenomenal person and she's led a very important place in my life. I told her I'm going to I'm going to tell this story as we start before I introduce her before she speaks up. Um, she holds a very apocryphal place in my life and Andrea, I don't know if you've known this, but I have um, told the story so many times of the Olympian that took me to my first yoga class. Do you remember that? 
I do. And I, I just, I just <laughs> love that one, one small act can change it. Uh, totally, to totally. Okay. So I have to take one more moment to ask you about this because my apocryphal story might not match up with your memories, but you and I were taking comprehensive exams and we were overloaded, stressed out. And you said to me, will you go to yoga? Let's take a yoga class only yoga class in our city at the time, right? Like it was the only yoga studio in our town. And what yeah, I, yeah. and I remember now, like, as I look back, like I'm not, I don't consider myself an athlete. I'm like, what was I thinking going to an athletic class with the Olympian? <laughs> but this is what I remember. And this is where I want to see if it matches up with your memory. I remember she put us in legs up the wall and I was like in this blissed out, like, oh my gosh, I think I was made for this. And I looked over to you and you have these like powerful hamstrings and powerful legs. And I remember you grimacing like, I hate this. Do you remember that? Or is that just my, my memory bank? Oh, that's very funny though. I think I was always, um, and I guess we'll talk about this as we go along, but always striving to do the pose really well where in yoga you're not really supposed to be striving <laughs> you were competitively <laughs> trying to like opposite. nail the pose andrea <laughs> i'm gonna be an olympic uh yoga person while I'm here. <laughs> so sadly but no I, I i have you know that was part of the reason i wanted us to go is because i felt like i needed to do some reconditioning of my you know, own brain and heart around, you know, what it means to just be and uh, yeah, just chill out. So, but yeah. I do have to, I like, I'm bowing to you right now in deep gratitude because clearly that moment completely changed the trajectory of my life and my work and how I view myself as a human. And I really, truly not sure it would have happened had you not invited me. So I just want to say a big thank you to you. That's, that's really beautiful. Thank yeah. you. And she does tell that story. I've heard it in several yoga classes. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Though. Oh. That is amazing. Well, we are thrilled to have you here, Andrea. And we want to start with thinking about kind of your first 10 years, uh, which we know are really pivotal for us in our development. So how did you, how and where did you grow up? What was growing up like for you? Sure. Well, I love that that you mark the the ten year old because I promise every story I tell about my childhood, I say, well, it's probably about ten. I'm like, did everything mm. happen when you were ten? So I must have come online when I was uh, ten years old. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I was born born in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, my uh, my father was a psychiatrist. My mom. Um, had been a teacher and was getting, um, she later on worked on her counseling psychology degree. Um, we were all pretty athletic and pretty achievement oriented, not only just in our immediate family, but outside um, our, you know, our cousins and uh, aunts and uncles, et cetera, were, you know, it was academics and athletics for us. That was what we valued, mm. I suppose. Right. So I was the, yeah, I was the youngest of three and, um, we were pretty close in age. So, uh, you know, played soccer in the backyard with my brother's friends. And then my sister and I joined a youth soccer and we played tennis as a family. And, and then later on, uh, we had a lake house and would water ski and do all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I think that um, that absolutely shaped 
my trajectory and maybe what turned turned me on is when my mom gave me a book called The Game of Inner Tennis. <gasps> and that was around I know nine that book. Wow. Yes. Uh, so then that was the start of the whole self-development, yes. personal development, how to be a better athlete, all those good things. So. Okay, we have to link that book. I've yeah. not thought about that book in 20 years. But yeah. it's when was that? Do you think, Andrea, that was published? It had to be the 80s. I think it was in the 70s. 70s. Yeah. And then the 80s, they just capitalized and then it was the inner game of everything. So, yes. um, but yeah, it was it was really pivotal. So what do you remember from that book or the teachings from that book? Because I read it not as a tennis player, but more, you know, someone curious about the mind. So do you yeah. remember why it was pivotal, what you took from that? I'm so that I, book. I can't remember that book. It's amazing. Yeah, it is an amazing book. Um, it was the do, doer and the the judge. Right. Mm. So the judge is standing back, you know, tending. And I might have that wrong because I haven't read it in 40 years. So um, but I think it was something about, you know, when when the internal voice is constantly criticizing and and, um, you know, you're in your head instead of in your body being the doer, then you're just not going to perform perform as well. And, you know, I think that with high achievement, the the judge can be beneficial in terms of pushing, but sometimes it can just over overtake and uh, actually get in the way of performance. So, yeah, uh, that's certainly something all- that I, I experienced directly and, and how I help help others is, um, you know, when, when to be in your head when you're practicing and being deliberate and intentional about what you're wanting to condition. And then when you're playing time, it's trust it and let it rip. Bring be what in your you body. have. And, be in your body. And just be, yeah, just be your, you know, full, full best self of whatever you have that day um, and get out of your head and into your body. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of parallels of, from that book. It's really well. like a sports analogy for the inner narrator. Yes. Mm-hmm. Constantly in your head. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. So, like quiet yeah. brain. Yes. Wow. That's really something that you got, that your mom knew to kind of deliver that wisdom to you at a young age that really probably helped you be incredibly successful as an athlete, um, having that understanding and knowledge so young. Well, it really was the way to do it too. Like read it through a book and don't she was getting her degree at that time in counseling. And so I had the mom who wanted to practice the counseling skills. <laughs> oh my God. That's what my children are going to say someday. Oh my gosh. But you're, but you were an expert. She was practicing. And so we'd be telling her a story and we just have all this emotion and we'd be mad. And then she'd be like, it sounds like you're angry. And I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> the obvious. and then you don't even want to talk about it anymore right you're like you ruined the story (laughs) you ruined the story that's right were you i'm like picturing you as this little 10 year old like you said things came online were you always overachiever were you always high performance well, I think growing up in that kind of family and being the youngest, my, um, you know, the youngest of three, my sister um, was in third, fourth and fifth grade all at the same time. She was just like testing out of everything. And, you know, and I always hear about how smart, you know, Daryl 
Daryl is. And, um, but I do think I kind of came out of the womb that way is that, yeah. you know, I was sort of this Leo child. You're a Leo. Of course you are. You know, yeah, yeah, enthusiastic, exuberant kid that was like, let's go. So there's there's a picture, you know, of um, uh, me on the beach, like three years old with this blonde, curly hair, like running at the camera with the biggest, brightest smile to, who you know, whoever I was running towards. So I think that's kind of symbolic of how I've approached life, honestly. So, oh, is, and that is, you know. we talk about that a lot with our guests, about those thinking about your first 10 years and how how all that foundation is laid and that's your essence was it there. Your, and you, like you said, your essence, you came out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, and, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, just one, one quick thing to add on the, on the grew up, what was pivotal to the trajectory was at six years old, watching the 1976 Olympics and Nadi Komenich inspired a whole generation yeah. Oh, yeah. of athletes. And, um, and so that just seeing her and she was wowing the world and getting her perfect tens. Um, they say it was the first time the world had seen perfect and so that um, was really instrumental in me saying, wow, I want to be an Olympian at, you know, at six years old. So I had no idea what and how and you know what it all meant. But um, that certainly led mm. me to wanting to be um, the best at my sport and, you know, really stand out and be good to yeah. someday. Yeah. So field hockey. So it sounds like you played a lot of soccer growing up, but then field hockey became your sport, which you eventually went to the Olympics in. How did you find that? Well, I guess it sort of found me because they didn't have they didn't have soccer for girls um, at the boarding school that I begged to go to. People go, oh, you must have been a rotten kid. You know why (laughs) your parents make you go to boarding school? And it was one of those find your way type things. There's something about it that looked really fun to me. Mm. So um, and I think I just, you know, in eighth grade needed to just I felt like I needed to be independent or go go find my way. And uh so they found out that I had played soccer and could use my feet and that I, you know, had done gymnastics and had this bigger dream. And they said, why don't you try goalie for the field hockey team? And I was like, mm. oh, no, thank you. And they're like, well, you could be on the varsity team. And your ears so perked like, up. Yeah, you're like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> going to be on the stinking third or fourth team. No way. So I didn't yeah. come out destined for that. <laughs> That's right. So there you go. And then yep. you went off so to play it in college, which brought you to the University of Iowa. Yes. And then where in that did the Olympics come in? Because when I met you, we were both getting our PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Iowa. And I think you all I knew is I there were these rumblings about this woman named Andrea Wieland in our program. And you were called, you probably know this, the dinosaur of the program. <laughs> Did you know that you were called that? Did you self-named, know? Self-named, self-named on the, on the, on the, uh, on the, um, the college team you're saying, right? Yeah, because you had left the program for a while to go play in the Olympics. So, like, just take us, you know, like, I'm so curious about the timing and how that all happened and what that was like. I mean, it's rare to speak to an Olympian. So, tell, give us the inside scoop. 
Oh my gosh. Well, it's never linear, as you might might guess. Every Olympian probably has their perseverance stories. But um, so it started when I was six years old, you know, strive, strive, strive. Um, in my in high school, I started being part of the Olympic developmental program because my coach, thankfully, I mean, this talk about the early um, supporters knew kind of if it, if she wants to be an Olympian, she has to be part of these programs. Now, if I had a coach who didn't know that, I could have been mm. swirling around with a dream and having no idea what to do. So uh, really, really important. And she had been a goalie herself and had been a college um, coach. And so I was really, really lucky. And she was also my AD and my advisor, et cetera. So I got into the Olympic developmental program in high school and um, they were called uh, DCB and A camp and A camp is the national team tryout. So when I was 18, I got um, invited to go uh, try out for that. I made the junior national team and then the coach liked me and would bring me up to train with the national team. So I was hoping to make the 88 uh, Olympic team, but that was way out of my zone yet. Mm. I was not developed enough, um, but then maybe the 92. And yeah, so uh, the, uh, one of the years during college, I went to uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament. So I missed my season. So I had an Olympic waiver year. And then another uh, year uh, when I was on the junior national team, trying too hard and overachieving and injuring myself, oh, Betsy, wow. which yeah. people overachieve in yoga and injure themselves. Yep. Um, I ended up getting back surgery. So I had a red shirt year. So I was a sixth year senior on the US national team. And that's why I was the dinosaur. Um, cause there's not many sixth year seniors. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. And then it was on again, off again with the U S team. It took eight, eight different tournaments or trials before I finally made the national team, which was the 94 world cup team and then stayed on the team through 96. And then after the Olympics, uh, started the program back up with, um, with the counseling. So I started in 92. I was in grad school when I was that six year senior. Gotcha. And uh, yeah. So, so sorry, and that's no, no, no. So, but what there. I love, I, which I didn't know is you tried for the Olympics in 88 and then you clearly would have tried again in 92. And it was yeah. finally in 96 that yeah. you were on the Olympic team and the Olympics that year were in Atlanta, which mm-hmm. it wasn't, aren't you connected to Atlanta? Hadn't you lived there? Yeah, or? I would have considered it my hometown. hometown so, yeah. uh, at three years old, we moved from Philly down to Atlanta. So it was a, it was a big Full deal. Circle. It was in my backyard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. And did you do that? Did you do the opening ceremony? Like where you, yeah. Uh, I don't think my smile could have been any bigger in the uh, opening ceremony. It's it like a memory of cool. a lifetime. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the athletes, we were in another stadium waiting for the parade of athletes. So we had to watch it on the big screen, which kind of stunk because, you know, um, they wanted as many people as possible in those those stadiums. It's so sad. It was so sad to watch the Olympics these past two times and see the, you know, the stadiums empty. Yeah. But um, anyway, I mean, we were standing next to the dream team, the 96 dream team basketball. And I, you know, came up to Shaq's waist, you know? Oh, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fantastic. Mm, how thrilling. Mm. So it, I, I was thinking about this in preparation for today as someone who 
played sports, you know, throughout my growing up years, but I had the opportunity to play a lot of different sports. Do you think being in sports at such a young age really helped you stay connected to your wild essence in a way that maybe girls or women that, that don't have that outlet? Like aren't in their bodies yes. in the same way. Yes. Yeah. You know, I never thought really in that way, you know, you asking me that is, uh, it, it's really interesting to reflect because I didn't really quote know anything else, but, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, a, a lot of that, um, you know, just the intensity of conditioning and practicing and training and, you know, high expectations and learning how to win and learning how to deal with failure and disappointment and <laughs> connecting with teammates and not connecting with all of them, connecting with coaches, but not connecting with all of them. You know, it just requires a sense of you got to have to be somewhat solid in yourself to be able to handle a bit of the turbulence and chaos of all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there, there, there is a lot of that. And I, I think I'm not positive, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think on this a little bit more, but probably in my, you know, late thirties, forties, you know, you start feeling feedback in other environments where, you know, before it was so, so touted and appreciated and celebrated. And then you're in other environments and maybe, you know, people don't like a strong, confident woman so much, mm, or, you know, interesting. they don't like how you're expressing your opinion or, you know, and maybe I could have improved as well, but it was, you know, it was how I knew to, knew to be based on my previous experiences. So, uh, that, that was, you know, so it's been, a, it's been a transition over the, you know, it's sort of an inside out transition of, okay, now how can you take all of that and, um, be, you know, present and available and connected to who's it, who's in the room type yeah. of thing. I don't which, know which really is the work you're doing as a performance coach mm -hmm. in, in yeah. corporate America in a way, right? Taking those gifts and the, the tools and everything that you've built up and translating them from the world of athletics to, to business. Yeah, I, I really think uh, probably the ultimate per purpose for everyone. And this, this, maybe it's not this universal, but I kind of think it is. I mean, Joseph Campbell's work is, you know, the follow your bliss or optimize yourself that we're always wanting to reach the best version of ourselves. And that is not, we never arrive to that because our new best version becomes our baseline. And then there's more, we're inclined to, to grow and expand. And so um, if you understand, if you buy into that, that that's quote the game we're playing. I don't really like to call it a game because it's kind yeah. of yeah. It's, game of life <laughs> doing, but yeah, it's life. But um, if you're bought into that, that, that arete or that excellence um, and never arriving, then it becomes more fun because when you make mistakes or you have a setback or you have a backslide or oops, that's not like me then you can, you know, adjust and it doesn't have to be devastating and you can get yourself back on track. Hey, at that area needs work and I can get better at that yeah. as opposed to having it be an opportunity to beat yourself up or feel like you're not worthwhile or those kinds of things. So, yeah, I totally uh, want to follow that trail with you because I'm so fascinated by this idea of failure. Um, 
because you were so you came out like you said such an overachiever such a high performance good grades you know high athletic um skills and yet as an athlete you are gonna face failure you're gonna lose games and I'm just reflecting like my experience of knowing you in graduate school is that you did feel uh, like as I reflected on you kind of impervious to failure, right? Like I was still in the phase of my own developmental experience of being like freaked out if I didn't do well on a test or if a professor didn't like me and you felt different, right? And I know you had had all this life experiences and you'd been through the Olympics and all of that, but talk to us about the power of failure and how it's a part of life. And it's like a key piece of growing because this podcast is about getting out of the small boxes, getting out of like a a narrow life, which means you're going to fail or mess up and it's just human. So will you like follow this thread for me? Cause I'm so curious to know your, your insight and wisdom on it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's it's a great question because I think a lot of reasons people come to me is because of that perception about how they define failure. So, and I will uh, I want to, to kind of answer this in two parts. Great. Is one my personal and if I forget remind me to talk about kind of my attitude towards personal failure. And what I believe in what I help other people with, but I'm not always good at it with me personally. So Mm. I'll just, you know, disclose that, Um, but uh, you know, getting better at it. So I, I define um, failure as not learning from your mistakes. And that if you're, if you're not failing, you're not striving either because Mm. you're doing the same thing that you can do. You already know that you can do it and you're not stretching yourself. So that in itself is not, growing. So if, if you have a setback or a mistake or a disappointment or a colossal, a colossal, (laughs) you know, mistake. Yeah. And if you fail to learn, then you failed. But if you've learned from it and grow and strive to get better and learn from it, then there is no failure in it. It's just the process of learning. So, um, I, I do have an acronym for fail and I'll, I'll come, come back to that shortly. So um, I I just think people need to reframe what failure is. So some people say you either win or you learn. Well, I think you can win and learn and you should glean what worked, what went well, glean that. Um, And then, um, uh, you know, what could have gone better because there's probably some things that actually could have gone better even in a win. And then what is my takeaway? So I call it a three, two, one, three betters, um, two improvements, uh, one takeaway and, you know, one implementable takeaway for, uh, for the future. So mm-hmm. a well, a well better how is just a great way, um, to have, you know, the athletes or the folks that I'm working with reflect on, uh, on a performance, um, whether the actual score was what they wanted or not. Um, so moving away from outcome, to process. Wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. And we're supposed to remind you to talk about your own personal yeah. story of failure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, I, I think I was an intern. I think I am an eternal op- optimist. So I am I can always see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strive and get better and strive and get better. 
But that didn't mean there weren't, you know, things that happened where I maybe took it too personally or, you know, if somebody else responded in a certain way, I would do a lot of self-blame around that um, because I felt like, well, I can't control their response. So at least I can control my, um, you know, how I could get better. But sometimes it would take more of a blame instead of a learning. So, you know, I think that growth mindset uh, where everything is, I mean, truly everything is an opportunity to learn if you, if you let it, if you let it be, be that way. Uh, I love that. I do too. And the idea that, you know, perfection really can get in the way of that. And we talk a lot about that with women on this podcast, that when we expect perfection, sometimes women shut down because you, you know, perfection really isn't possible. And it, it your idea, so limiting. Of, yeah, your idea of, you know, resilience and, and that failure is, is actually growth when looked at the way that you look at it. Um, it's only possible if you, if you aren't seeking perfection, right? You have to, you have to grow beyond uh, where you currently are. So yeah. yeah, it's it's such when a great you were, when you work with these high level athletes, because I know you've done this in your own personal business. I know you did this when you were working at Penn, like you work with these high, high level performers. What like what's the biggest thing that you feel like you bring to them that they need to learn from you or all that you've been through and all your education and all your training? Like if I know there's probably a thousand things you teach them, but like what, what's your big lesson that our listeners can also glean something from? Well, I, I, what I hope is that I have direct experience with this stuff. This is not read from a book. This is not, you know, the theory tells me this. And then I'm, you know, on page four of the manual and this is the next thing we're supposed to do in the manual. This is, I am bringing my authentic self, you know, we'll, mm. you know, we'll get not raw in a kind of, you know, dirty way, but we're, we're, yes. gonna, we're going to talk about this. Real and stuff, real talk. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like, um, what I offer not look, I'm not a match for everybody. You know, I'm not, I'm some people really resonate and love it and they make leaps and bounds and, um, others either take longer or I'm not, or I'm not a fit. And, um, I know when I'm not being my authentic self, then, um, and trying to be something for the client, then, uh, yeah. bring, bring, it ain't working, honey. So, um, <laughs> and, and that's fine. And, and I, and I, if I can, you know, quiet, um, you know, I, I feel like, Oh, I should be able to help, but Hey, I might not be the best match for you. And, and I, I, having no ego in the game allows me to then be like, let's find a great match for you, or let's really get clear on, on what, what you're looking for, what you think would be most helpful. That's such a gift. I was thinking about the authenticity and how, you know, I saw a mug the other day actually that said, I'm not for everyone. <laughs> I love <laughs> I was that. like, and it was online, but I would love, I, I feel like the, the earlier, women we can own that own that yes because when you're authentic and yourself you're not going to be for everyone no if you're constantly a chameleon trying to be for everyone you're not authentic and don't you think too andrea you draw when you're so authentic and real you will draw those people that need you to you like they find you 
I I think that that's probably the case. Um, I, you know, I never and I, I, you know, I don't have a, a ton to say on that. I'm, I'm um, I think that can I, I think there's a lot to the the energetic attracting and pulling in and everything else. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, at IMG and Penn, you know, I was working with who I was designated to work with and it wasn't always a match. So, um, mm. so the system can, yeah, yeah, yeah the bigger system. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of that, Andrea, we, you know, we're at the 50 year mark anniversary for title nine and you have been in this, you know, world of athletics your whole life. You've seen, you know, you've seen the progress you've seen probably setbacks, what is the future of athletics for women? What do you feel like there's a, um, a movement happening? I know we feel that a little bit locally here mm-hmm. with like Caitlin Clark and some of the national attention around women's basketball. And obviously even today is a big game for the NCAA here in Iowa city. Um, yes. Yeah. So we're, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. What, what do you see as kind of the future? Well, I think the uh, women's national team, the soccer team's uh, recent lawsuit win over equal pay was is profound and hopefully will be setting precedents for for other uh, athletes and teams in the future so i think that's really important and and with that what the argument has often been is the reason they're quote not getting equal pay is because they're not bringing in the equal kinds of funds well well that certainly was not the case for the um uh, women's national team for soccer but um, it's also the whole system. We were just talking about systems, but the yeah. whole system around the promotion and the marketing and the the um, what's get gets talked about. If that starts shifting, I, I think that will you know help out women's ath- athletics incredibly. So I feel like there there are um, there's more and more of a shift as well as women you know working um, as coaches or general managers of pro teams, et cetera. So yeah, there, there's movement. It's slow. It's damn mm, slow. Yeah. Um, it's painful at times. Yeah. And and some of the, some of the nonsense that you hear, like you did not just say that. Okay. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, it, is it really 2022? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. that but leads us, leads us to something we ask all of our guests. And I, I think it ties in so beautifully with what we were just talking about as there's this beautiful book, and you may have read it, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Have you read it, by the way, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes? It's like a book from the 80s. Yeah, I feel like a, a, a long time ago. We're going to uh, send you I a copy. We you. will send yeah, you a copy because I think it's oh, worth you oh. looking at again. Mm-hmm. Um, but she writes about the wild woman and, and not, again, we are trying to stress in every podcast, the wild woman is not a pejorative term. It is a term of like empowerment. It's the woman who's yep. aligned with her essence and her authenticity, as you talked about earlier and her, her power and, and seeing her own potential. But she says there's very few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. And so these are the doors she talks about. And so we've asked every guest, which door do you think you took, right? <laughs> And there might be more than one door that you took. So if you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. 
And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So which of these doors or maybe multiple doors do you think you took into really stepping into this embodied life of empowerment and vision and leadership and like finding your own path? You've got a path like no one else. Well, they're beautiful metaphors, aren't they? They're really, really nice. Um, I would say, yeah, it was the double doors. Of, double doors. <laughs> double doors. Of course, open the double doors. Um, uh, sky and water being out in nature, uh, that is essential for me. Uh, you know, whether it's being out on my horse or with my horse or at the barn or uh, on trails, just just being outside in the mountains, in the water, uh, is just essential for me. And then I feel like, you know, how we started full circle around, you know, my father being a psychiatrist and my mom interested in kind of the deeper, fuller life. Um, and hopefully a sane, sane life, uh, that I, I, I felt like I took on that desire early to always be optimizing And, um, yeah, I think that sense of adventure and risk and willingness to, to risk when everybody else is telling you your bananas, (laughs) then you just, you know, and and I learned maybe I was a little bananas. Maybe that wasn't the right decision, but I sure learned a hell of a lot in the process. So, and that feels so authentic just in the time we've spent. I'm like, that is her. And that's you from the beginning, from the beginning. Right. Yeah. I love how these circle back the, you know, to, the, to your early story, your, your first 10 That's years. why we always start with that, right? Yeah. Like what were, what, where'd you come from? And it always circles back around. Okay. <clears throat> okay so I'm curious as one of our, our sort of final inquiries here, you of the people that I've met in my life are so multifaceted in terms of your skills and your talents and you know, you have a PhD in psychology, you have an MBA, you've worked with so many, um, really amazing people. What, what do you, what do you still want to do in your life? Like what's next? What, what still is fire in your belly that you want to kick ass over? Cause I know <laughs> that's what I know. you do. You just kick ass. Yeah. Uh, you guys are awesome. I, I feel like I'm one of the lucky people in life that has done and found something that I've always loved and enjoyed. So Um, you know, I think it's doing more of that a little bit differently. So two, two things that I strive for, and you all can keep me accountable for, and I, you know, once you admit it publicly, I was going to say it's out in the airwaves now, making it real. Yeah. Yeah. Be be careful what you, what you speak publicly. Um, I feel like there's a book inside me and I need to write something. So Uh. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm leaning towards children's books mm. and that that sort of 10 to 14 year old, that key key uh, age where um, girls can, you know, they're 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 these amazing girls. And then some things can happen in those 20 wow. years. Mm. Yes. That send them on a good direction or not. So, yes. Uh, yeah. I think if we could just get them just believing in themselves and feeling like they're, they're empowered, awesome beings, then that would be a pretty cool um, thing. Oh, that's amazing. 
Yeah. Please do and that. Yes. Please do that. We will, yeah. we will check back with you. And I, I think that, yeah, yeah. it I'm, sounds I like might, authentically you. I might need some co-writers. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good writers in Iowa city. We can set you up with that. Yes. <laughs> okay. You, there's something else I can feel it. Oh, then, then the other thing um, that I think is just uh, really on the frontier of happening is this democratization of optimal performance. So meaning more and more apps are coming out where people can uh, guide themselves, uh, he, listen to various um you know, short, short three minutes or 15 minutes or kind of master classes around uh, optimizing performance. So just being a part of that movement, uh, I think will be a lot of fun. So a lot more people can uh, access this ancient wisdom and modern science, if you will, uh, around um uh, being their best selves and leaving their best selves because we, that's what we need from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't be getting into some of the, the, the nonsense that we, we get into if uh, people felt right with themselves and felt like they could flourish and uh, bring their best. Yeah, selves. Now to, more than ever. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's what ever. I think you did for me in graduate school. And I think you've done for probably thousands of people is that because you are constantly, living your best self and constantly stepping up and being a high performer, you give other people permission to do that. And I think that's a piece of it. Like there's, we need to see other people optimizing and being in their fullness to say, Oh, it's safe and okay for me to be in my fullness. Right. And I, and your message about failure, I think is especially for women, like stepping into their power may mean you're going to stumble and fall and, and that's okay. Like permission for that and, and helping support one another in doing that. Uh, when we do, well, fall. You just gave, yeah, you just gave me chills on that. So I always know we're onto something when, when I get chills, <laughs> I've um, had him twice in this podcast I know, thus far, but I, know. I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a roll. So, uh, so I think, you know, uh, women, I encourage you to take two words out of, um, probably five words out of your vocabulary, but we'll start with perfect just, just crumple that up and throw it away. Think of excellence or optimize instead and failure. There's only failure. If you don't learn, if you learn from it, then call it learning, not Mm. failing. You get to learn. And the only way you're going to learn is, is by making mistakes and figuring out new paths and knowing that there are multiple paths to where you want to go. And that's what hope is all about is that I have the agency I have uh, multiple paths and I believe I can take one of those paths and be successful. So the first path may not work out and maybe it doesn't, but at least you took a step in the direction of, um, you know, doing something new and expanding and growing and then serving back into the community because you've taken, taken those risks. So good on you and go for it. Ah, You're so inspiring. Yes. Please make an app or a video series and write those books and, we love it all. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So where can people find you? Like if they want to work with you or. Yeah, right now um, uh, I'm sort of in that transition, but I'm, I am taking, taking clients, the right clients who are matched for this wild, wild person. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably LinkedIn is the best uh, way to go right now. Just, uh, I think it's uh, just Andrea, 
Andrea Whelan. You'll you'll find me winning systems. Um, I'm systems. actually just just thinking about getting back to maybe I should do a little more promotion around winning systems, but <laughs> we'll see. Well, let this be the first let step. The, yes, we will we will put in our show notes ways to contact Andrea. Yeah. Yay! That sounds great. Yeah, this has been Good. absolutely the best conversation and so inspiring. That's what I feel, just inspiring. You are so inspiring, Andrea. And I just hope you know that and you just keep shining your beautiful light and just you're you're so powerful out into the world. And it gives me, again, permission to try to step into that myself. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, I think you all are brave and courageous to do a podcast. And I can imagine that a lot goes into that. So giving your gifts out in this way is, is really, really cool. So what you see in me can only be seen if you see it in yourself. So we're mirrors. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thank you. And now the amazing singer songwriter, Lissy Morris with wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.